0: This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN.
1: But I'm going to start with the New York Mets because they're, they're fascinating me right now and not in a good way. I'm a little concerned. It's early. I know it's early. I get that it's early. It is June. And you knew that the injuries were going to catch up with them eventually. You cannot continue to lose the amount of people that the Mets have lost. Okay. And continue to do well. And we knew going in that this West coast trip was going to be tough. And they still have a chance to finish five and five on this trip. Still have a chance to finish, but I got to tell you, San Diego was rough. And last night the halos were rough, but it's not, that the Mets have been up and down during this trip. I mean, five and five in their last 10. But it's what's happened behind them that has been fascinating to me. And once again, I had no illusions. I was not surprised. I've always felt that Atlanta is going to be the biggest, the biggest test for the Mets to finish. The Mets are good enough. The Mets have enough talent. The Mets have enough pitching. The Mets have a great manager. All things considered, the Mets should win their division. They should win their division. But in the back of my mind as a Mets fan, I've always wondered and am concerned about Atlanta. Philadelphia, eh, well, you know what? I don't care about Philadelphia. That was my thought process, right? That's how I looked at the division. Well, Atlanta has gone on a 10-game winning streak. And Philadelphia, since the firing of Joe Girardi, has won nine of their last 10. And all of a sudden, a very comfortable double-digit lead has shrunk. The Mets are now five and a half ahead of Atlanta and eight ahead of Philadelphia. And oh, by the way, the Marlins have won five straight and seven of their last 10, and the Mets will see them when they get home along with the Brewers. Now, who are struggling. Now, I had no illusions that this was going to be a rest-your-head-on-the-pillow season for the Mets. I knew that there's going to be adversity. The season is too long for you not to have to go through that. The season is too long for you not to have to deal with injuries and deal with things that happen And deal with game things, and so once again, am I saying am I panicking that oh this is same old Mets this is this is what happens? Great start. It's June. Look, I'm not doing that at all. I still have a lot of confidence in my team. I still feel that they will be either first or second in the division, probably first. Because I'm looking at how well they've played. I mean, for a while, they had the best record in baseball before the team in the Bronx just took over and haven't been stopped. And we'll talk about them later in the show. So I, I knew that this was not going to be a cakewalk. And it's a long season, and things happen. But I am surprised how Atlanta, and and especially Philadelphia, more so Philadelphia, has responded to just a different voice in the room. And it's not really a different brand of baseball because Rob Thompson was brought in by Joe Girardi. So he's going to run things pretty much the same. And yes, you expect that there will be a little energy rush, right? When you make a change at manager. But I did not expect the Phillies to go on a run where they win 9 of 10 and 8 in a row. That's not what I expected. But that's what's happened. And once again, as I say, with Atlanta, who'd been struggling, went 10 straight, while the Mets are five and five. And remember, eventually Atlanta and Philly have to go to the West Coast too. So they will run into the Dodgers and the Padres, you know, and the Halos, who really have now won two of their last three after losing, what, 15 in a row? It seemed like every night they were losing. Because they were. And last night was just one of those nights where, you know, Carlos Carrasco didn't have it. It happens. He's been pitching great. He's been better than anybody expected, especially me. He's been phenomenal. He's had one of those nights. It happens. I mean, Mike Trout came back to life. Well, I was having a conversation last week. Are you you folks sure Mike Trout is still the best player in baseball? Well, he rejoined the lineup last night with a pair of home runs. I guess he wants to know that, hey, I'm still here. (laughs) Hey, baseball fans, I'm here. Hey, Angel fans, I'm here. It was just, it was an electric night for them. And listen, that's why you kind of (laughs) want, when your team is facing a team that's lost as many games and had as much problems as the Angels have had. Okay, you, you know. You kind of want them to win some games before you face them. Because the law of averages, ter- you've got to win some of those games. You're not, they're not that bad a team. Okay, they were just the team that was playing well before they hit the skids. So you knew they were eventually going to come out of it. So we'll see what happens tonight. Sunday Night Baseball, Mets, and Angels on the left coast. But I just want to know. Just a little, just, just how will and this is when you find out right and not that the mets have gone to a losing streak or anything but this is this is how you find out how the manager writes the ship okay and once again this is not a this is not that the mets are losing a bunch of games but this is that teams behind them are winning have gotten hot and now how will they how will the players on this team, deal with that because for some of them, this has happened before. Where you had the big lead, you're cruising, and all of a sudden you look out, you look behind you, and oh, oh, there's people coming. It's too early to worry about it. All they have to do is just put their head down and keep playing great baseball. Starling Marte will probably get back to the lineup. We'll see what Buck Walter has to say about that. And uh, I hope this doesn't mean that oh, oh, let's rush back to Grom, let's rush back Scherzer. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep trying to continue the win series. Keep your head above water. I'm sure everything will be okay. But I was startled when I looked at the... (laughs) It took me aback. Checking out the standings this morning, I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that close. (laughs) I haven't seen that closeness in a while. But that's good. That's good. (laughs) Ranger fans, look, listen to me for a second. And, and this is not the old hockey guy talking because that's not me. But I've seen a few games. I've, seen, I've walked, covered a few teams in my career. And there's a couple of things I, I want to share with you as you're kind of mourning this Sunday. Here's the positives. Okay, here's the positives. Which you really don't want to hear after losing a game six on the road. I get it. Especially after you were toyed with the idea of a late go-to evening at 1, and you're just like, oh, oh, if we could just get it to overtime. And then the quick stretch down the ice, and before you could even say, oh, you're down to one here's, here's the reality. You lost to a better team. The bottom line. You lost to a better team with championship DNA who now is having the opportunity to go into, you know, another New York team's category of possibly the opportunity to win three cups in a row. So you lost to a better team, a team that. Never got down on themselves. A team that has done the work. A team that knows what it takes to win. A team that's really talented and really deep. A team that's versatile. A team that did well defensively. And also has a pretty good goalkeeper. Goaltender. That's what. That's that's what you lost to. Okay. Here's the positives. You have a really good goaltender yourself. <laughs> okay, let's start there. Igor Shesterkin's really good. He's really good. Okay. Number two. Nobody expected you to even be here. And I get that as the season changes and you get better and you beat teams, that how you look at your team and how the team is you have to reevaluate it right so the fact that hey we nobody expected us to get there right nobody expected you to get there but you got there so now that you're there okay it changes how you look at your team changes so i get that are they really good defensively yes can they get better absolutely and the consistency of being beaten on odd man rushes in this series was a concern. Do we have to take into consideration also fatigue? Yeah, you do. But everybody else is on the same schedule, so that's in the back of your mind as well. Do you need more depth on this team? Possibly. Again, here's some of the positives you can take. There's, and you don't want to hear this, but I... I'm just sharing it with you anyway, just just for you to think about. Just just, just think about it. positives. Think about. It. We don't want to hear about the fact that we got. We're learning how to win. We lost. <laughs> we lost, but seeing how the adjustments you made and how Tampa readjusted to your adjustments, how they counted your adjustments, that's how you learn. Okay, now you see how it how it what how much it really takes for you to dig down and go through the gauntlet and try to win the Stanley Cup. and you knew it wasn't easy the, 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 the players knew they know it's not easy, and you give them credit for battling and going through and you and you really you're heartbroken at losing, giving up that 2-0 lead in game three. Because this could have been a totally different series. But once again, that's what you learn about the champion's heart. That's how you learn that they, even though they were struggling in the first two games, Tampa, they ratcheted it up a notch. Okay? To... Get back in this series, and so it's 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 disappointing. It's not what you want. It's it's frustrating, and I know next year. You you can't wait, and I, I'm with you. I'm I'm really curious to see what they're going to do in the off season, what moves they make, and they don't have to make a bunch of moves. Okay, they don't make they don't have to make a bunch of moves. There's little tweaks to just pick up, you know, some experience here and there and and another score and some more depth. And they have the opportunity, the opportunity, okay, to do some things and to go at least to where they are, where they were this year and beyond. But it's not guaranteed. It isn't. It's not. You're listening to the New York Rangers Playoff Report. It's presented by the people, our friends at Caesars Sportsbook. Let's hear some more from a couple of Rangers before I hear from you at 1-800-919-3776. Okay? Let's hear from Adam Fox. And listen to what Adam Fox has to say about the culture of the locker room, which is something, if you're a Ranger fan, I think you're pretty happy to hear.
0: Yeah, it was obviously a great experience. Uh, you know, you look back and you know we could have been done in in five games in that first round, but uh, you know we battled. You know, took everyone and uh, you know, like you said, is a a nice uh, young mix of guys in this in this room, but also uh, you know a good mix of older guys too who who help and 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 lead the way for us. And uh, you know, it was a. Great, great locker room, and, uh, you know, I think our uh, battle when we were down in series really showed that. So, yeah, it was obviously a lot of good experience. You know, wish for a, a better ending, but uh, definitely promising for our team.
1: And it wasn't just battling being down in this series, okay, because they could have just And see, here's the thing, once again, I know it doesn't, I know it, it hurts, and it does, You, yeah, okay, Larry, right. You weren't blown out at any game in this series. It's not like it was 6-1 or 5 nothing You were in every single game in this series against a two-time Stanley Cup champion. Here's Mika Zibanejad.
2: I don't know. It's... Um, I feel like denying this right now. Um, I don't know. I don't don't honestly say how... Much to say, I just, empty, it's, it's, um don't want it to be over.
1: Of course, look, look at the hard work it took for you to get through this point. Look at all the, look, look at all the extra practices, all the morning skates, all the things you did, all the hard work. It's empty. And as you as a fan, it's empty. Imagine the players. So they're devastated. It's going to take them a couple of days to get over it. But here's what you hope as a Ranger fan, right? Here's what you hope. That the pain and the angriness and the emptiness and the disappointment is what what fuels them to come back and be that much more determined next season to at least try And get back to where they were. Because I'm telling you this, once again, from watching a lot of sports. And and I can hear Rex Ryan in my head after the Jets lost to Pittsburgh. Second AFC championship game. Remember, they eliminate the first year. Second year, they lost in Pittsburgh. And I could hear him saying, it's not like you start right here at the conference championship. So it's not like the Rangers are going to start at the conference championship. And you know that. It's going to take a lot of effort. It's going to take a lot of hard work. It's going to take a little luck to not have injuries. It's going to take a little luck. But the experience and the pain of getting this far and coming away empty is going to be something that fuels this team. I just want you as fans to temper the fact of, oh, we're definitely going to the Eastern. Oh, we're got. Oh, we going to the Eastern Conference Finals again. Oh, we know what we're doing. We're, we got, we're looking for Tampa. Whoever wins in there, we're looking for them. That's the goal. And the goal is to get to the Stanley Cup. And obviously, they will be expected. They're not sneaking up on anybody next season. Everybody's going to be prepared for this Rangers team. And they've got to do some things defensively to, to, you know, make it a little easier on their goaltender. Okay, they've got got some changes and, and, and little tweaks that they have to make. But they've got the opportunity and they've got the talent to be a really, really good team. This team could win a Stanley Cup. That's the New York Rangers Playoff Report. It's presented for the people by Caesars Sportsbook. Download and get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,500. And every bet you make brings you closer to redeeming amazing perks only Caesars can offer. TNC apply. Must be 21 plus. Whenever I want to talk Jets, I turn to my guy. He is Rich Cimini, Dean of the Jet Sports Writers. You can follow him on ESPN.com. He's got a great article every day about the Jets, and minicamp is coming, so that means he's going to be writing and very, very busy before. I hope he takes a moment to retool before training camp starts because it's hot and long. Hi, Rich. How are you?
0: Oh, Don't worry, Larry. Uh, Thank you for the introduction, and yes, I will be taking some time off before training camp, no doubt.
1: I hope so, my friend, because it's you better.
0: <laughs> yeah, it gets a little tedious. That's six weeks and uh, some hot days out there, but uh, it's all good. I'm looking forward to uh, this mini camp coming up. Uh, a little shorter than we expected. It was originally scheduled as a three game, three day mini camp, but the Jets have cut it down to two days, in keeping with the theme this off season, which is pretty much. Uh, Lighter is better, I guess, is the theme this offseason. So it's going to be a light mini camp, only two days.
1: All right, Rich, so let's start there because that, that's fascinating to me. What, why do you think they feel that, you know, with, all, with, with a second-year quarterback who really needs some work and you've got some rookies coming in, you've got the second year of a program, uh, why do they feel that streamlining it is better? Is it more efficient? Are they doing more reps per day? What, what, what's their thought process?
0: Yeah, not no. They're not doing more reps per day. You know, the days I've been out there, and I think only three times so far during OTAs, three or four times. Um, you know, they're not doing many eleven on eleven reps. You know, probably I don't know eight to ten per day, and then they do some seven on seven, and they and pretty much call it a day. I think it all. I think it's injuries and, and body maintenance. I think that. And the Jets aren't the only team that are doing this. I, I think if you look across the league, teams are dialing it back a little bit in the offseason. The Jets are a team that's been positively crushed by injuries the last few years. They've invested a lot of money in hiring a, a performance staff, an athletic performance staff that was, you know, has been you know, working for a year for them. Last year, they still had a lot of injuries. Even with this performance staff, uh, I think they were able to cut down on the soft tissue injuries, but they had some other bigger injuries. I know it's really something that Joe Douglas is it, for, foremost on his mind. You know, he said it at the end of the season. Uh, he mentioned it, a, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I was talking to Douglas. Injury prevention is a big part of, you know, what, the, what they want to get accomplished. And so I think that's a big reason why they dialed it back.
1: And I'm very curious how to see how they balance that with training camp, Rich, which is normally, which is, listen, compared to some veterans that we know, is too easy already. So if they're going to cut it back even more, you uh, know, with no more a days to the point of pads and so on and so forth, uh, you know, how do you, how is that going to work with you making decisions, you know, as far as uh, playing time and, and certain decisions that you have to make on personnel?
0: Yeah, well, it's a a really good question, and, you know, training camp isn't what it used to be, obviously. Everything is pretty much formatted throughout the league. You know, you're only allowed to do a certain number of days in pads. You're only, I mean, two-a-days are non-existent. Now it's much more of a mental uh, training camp, you know, more walkthroughs, things of that nature, so there really isn't a lot of flexibility for a, a coach to say, "Oh, we're going to run a really hard camp this summer." Well, you really can't because of the rules, you know, that the CBA has in place. You have a specific time on the practice field; you can't go over that time. So the days of like the hard and the soft camp are really non-existent. So they'll, they'll stick to what they usually do in training camp, which is basically follow the rules of the CBA and make roster decisions based on that. And, of course, only three preseason games again. And, you know, I think in the third preseason game, which is just Giants, which will be kind of interesting, in the third preseason game, um, you know, you just make some decisions based off that.
1: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Rich, you had a a great article uh, on .com about Zach Wilson and the Jets are streamlining the amount of people talking to him. Take us through that article and what what was the change in in thought process in not having four or five people talking to him as opposed to the amount of people that are talking to him now.
0: Right, and I think most Jets fans know that that quarterback room got a little unwieldy last year. Mm-hmm. You know, they started. I mean, and it wasn't all the Jets' fault. I mean, some things were out of their control. There, were, of course, there was the Greg Knapp tragedy, which occurred on the eve of training camp. He was going to be. The elder statesman in in the offensive room, in the quarterback room, and you know, as we all know, he was uh, you know passed away from a, uh, an accident. He was struck by a motorist out in California, and so to replace that experience, they ended up hiring Matt Cavanaugh, who they had no real background with, but a guy who was uh, you know well respected around the league. And then midway through the season, they threw a curveball and they brought in John Beck, who is Zach Wilson's personal coach. And I think the Jets were so concerned about Zach's first half performance last year that they wanted to get someone that he really knew and trusted and could lean on to get him in the building so the Jets essentially had four people in in Zach's ear last year and of course the other two were the position coach Rob Calabrese and the coordinator Mike LaFleur and, and I wrote about it last year I thought it was it was a bit unusual and you know Zach did improve toward the end of the year so save Say what you want about that setup. Uh, I think it might have been good for the short term, but I think for the long term, what they're doing now is much better. It's just the quarterback coach Calabrese and the coordinator Lafleur. They're the only two voices in Wilson's ear. And you know, you talk to them, you talk to the coaches now, and you could tell that they like it better this way. Now they don't want to come out and say. Bad things about it the way it was last year, but you could just tell that it's a better setup this year. It's a more conventional setup, and I think ultimately it'll be better for Zach Wilson.
1: Now, obviously, it really won't matter until the season starts. But, Rich, what did you see from Wilson in OTAs? The little bit that he, whatever they did, that that could you see some sign of improvement? I know the big the big thing coming out of OTAs was he. He's obviously hit the weight room, but I mean, from his performance on the field, throwing the football and reading, you know, whatever light defenses and stuff he had to do, did did you see some improvement with him?
0: Uh, You know, I mean, it's so hard to say. I mean, they were getting eight to 10 reps a day.
1: Yeah, not much. Uh, He
0: had a couple of shaky practices. I think those were well documented. I I know, you know, the beauty of social media, you know, things tend (laughs) to get blown out of proportion a little bit. and so, you know, from what I saw, no, we, we didn't see all the practices. From what I saw, it was a little up and down. Um, it wasn't as crisp as you'd like. But let me let me just put the disclaimer in. This is very, very early. Um, I w- you know, a lot of players aren't even there. His starting tackles aren't even there. This is really not a live pass rush. They weren't even doing much 11-on-11. So, I caution, I take everything with a grain of salt. The one thing I saw him doing more, though, this year, I think is interesting. I saw him making more plays outside the pocket. Last year, you know, he said this last year, how he really went through training camp and OTAs, really trying to stay in the pocket, you know, only for learning, for the purpose of learning the offense, trying to become a pocket passer and learning the offense from that perspective. You know, that's not really his strength. We know from college he's a guy who can get outside the pocket and make some improv plays. But last year, he made a concerted effort to stay in the pocket. From what I've been noticing in the few practices I've seen, I think he's been a little bit more uh, apt to get outside the pocket. So to me, maybe that's a sign he's more comfortable with the offense, uh, willing to play a little bit more of his style of game. But we're really not going to know until even training camp, and probably then, not even then probably not even until they get started on September 11th against the Ravens.
1: Rich, I'm talking to Rich Cimini on the Jets. Rich, how, how did the uh, rookies look in, in OTAs?
0: Well, I mean, I thought sauce Gardner, you know, he didn't work a lot with the starters. It was mostly the backups. You know, of course it's inevitable that he'll, he'll be starting, uh, I see a, a guy who is just a really long athlete. When I look at him, I I see visions of Antonio Cromartie. You know, mm. like, you know, having covered the Jets for so long, I sometimes mm-hmm. see players and I see players <laughs> from the past. And he and Cromartie, you know, the same physique. You know, about six foot three, really good athletes. Mm. Um, you know, he he's just, you know, he covers very well downfield. Uh, I saw a couple of instances where he had a a little bit of trouble near the goal line on some quick-breaking routes like a whip route. Uh, You know, Garrett Wilson ran on him. You know, the quick-breaking routes sometimes can be a little bit tougher for a longer player like a Gardner. So Mm -hmm. that's something that he'll have to adjust to. But from what all the receivers were saying, you know, as advertised, a really good athlete, uh, a good good intangibles, and very vocal out there. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the way – you know, rookies sometimes show up and just keep their mouths shut and do what they're told. He was getting into the whole trash-talking thing, you know, uh, and I mean in a good-natured way mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. the offense. He was joining right in, so I think it's a sign that he feels very comfortable.
1: So you mean he's going to be returning punts in this second or third year? <laughs> like <laughs> what <Marty> did. <laughs>
0: yeah. Oh yeah, well, you know, hey, Antonio was a very unique athlete. He could he do was. a lot of things. I, I, mean, I do not think we will see Scott Gardner returning kicks.
1: <laughs> how about how about the receiving core, uh, Rich? I, you know, I hear that you know there was a, they really showed out well, and I'm very curious to see how. I'm very curious to see how this this receiving core is going to work out with, obviously the young draft choices. You've got you know Elijah Moore coming back healthy, and and Corey Davis who was a free agent you know, pick up last year, Rich, and who really underwhelmed.
0: Yeah. I mean, he got the injury last year. He, we talked to him a couple of days ago. He said, he's fine. He's over that injury. It cost him half the year. Um, you know, I think there was a transition period last year for Corey. I don't know if he ever got settled in. Mm. Uh, he dropped six passes last year, which I think may have been one of the most in the league. And yet his numbers weren't terrible. I think if you prorated them over over 17 games, he would have been around a thousand yards. But yeah, I mean it wasn't it, it was below expectations. I think they expect more from him. I think he expects more from himself. It'll be really interesting to see how they rotate the receivers uh, with Garrett Wilson, Braxton Barrios, and Elijah Moore. You have four starting caliber receivers it's a, it's amazing how much that position has improved i mean 2 or 3 years ago could could we have made that statement that no. they have four no. caliber receivers i mean back then you had Robbie Anderson and a bunch of question marks and so uh, yeah i mean so they'll have to it'll be curious to see how they, who gets played in the slot you know Jamison Crowder we know is gone he's in buffalo he did most of the work out of the slot last year i think you're going to be you'll, you'll see a multi headed a two or three headed slot receiver this year. I think you'll see Berrios in the slot. You could see Elijah Moore. I think they'll try to uh, shake it up just to keep teams off balance.
1: Little Denzel Mims there, Rich.
0: (laughs) I didn't mention Denzel Mims. I don't think he'll be in the slot. I'm pretty sure about that. You know, he is one of the more intriguing players in training camp. He will be simply because he's not going to crack the top four that I just named, but, you know he's in really good shape, and uh, you know this is his first like real off season where he was healthy, and was able to get into great shape, and so that's good. Now can he perform? Can he he run routes the way they want him to? Uh, the the practices I saw, he really did not make much of an impact at all. Was somewhat invisible. Um, but again, these practices are are what they are. Very interesting training camp. Do you keep Denzel Mims as your fifth receiver right now? I'd probably say he's probably their fifth receiver. Can he play special teams? Uh, he, you know, he does a little bit in practice, but he's not really that kind of player. So to me, that's a, a very very interesting call on on what happens to Denzel Mims.
1: And real real quick, uh, Rich, offensive line and defensive line, um, they've made a lot of moves on both sides of the of, of the ball. This not so much a mandatory mini, but. You know, during preseason, it's going to be very interesting to see how these moves work out.
0: Well, I mean, they have like fifty defensive linemen. It seems <laughs> like you know, I, I, I think, I, I think the exact number is fifteen or sixteen defensive linemen, and you know, and they're all NFL quality. I mean, most of them anyway. You know, they got twelve or thirteen guys who should be on NFL rosters. So that's going to be a very interesting cut down. I would guess that we'd probably keep ten. We know how much that Sala and Obrick like to rotate their defensive linemen. So, you know, they love, they're going to dress eight for sure every Sunday. And so they have a really good depth on the outside, you know, inside, you know, losing Fadakasi hurts a bit, especially against the run. I think they're going to need someone to really step up and become more of a presence on the interior. Now on the offensive line, that that's really like one of the big stories, you know, Makai Becton, Mm-hmm. He will be at mini camp tomorrow. He'll be there for his physical. Uh, I'm not sure how much he'll do on the field. I suspect that they'll limit him somewhat simply because he's coming off that knee surgery from last year. But I think the team just wants to get him in, get a set of eyeballs on him, see how he's doing, see what kind of shape he's in, see how the surgically repaired knee is doing. And then and then go from there and then, you know, hit the ground running in training camp. But, um, you know, is he going to be the left tackle? Is he going to be the right tackle? What about Fant? Those are the big questions on offense.
1: And Rich Cimini will have all the answers on ESPN.com. Rich, thanks for a couple of minutes. Enjoy minicamp. I'm glad that's a day shorter for you. All right.
0: Uh, yeah, a little shorter. So uh, that's, that's good. That's, that's a good thing good. for us
1: too. Absolutely. Thanks all for right, having right. me, Larry. Thank you. Obviously, it's always about the quarterback. I understand it. I know. Especially when you have a rookie quarterback last year who started out brutally, finished with some promise. But uh, as I told Rich, and I'm being honest with you, he bulked up, that's nice. That means that he, you know, he when you hit him, he won't break. <laughs> but that's not a big concern for me. If I'm a Jet fan, here's what I want to know. Is there an improvement reading defenses? Is there a confidence in understanding where he has to go with the football and and, and reading play, reading the defenses, and being able to have the time to work with his offensive line to shift defenders with his eyes? These are the things I need to find out. Can he continue to get long drives? Does he understand that, hey, guess what? Keeping the ball and running two yards is better than going – dropping back, getting sacked for a loss of 10, and now it's it's first, it's second and 15, as opposed to, okay, I just got two yards, but it's second and eight. Okay, second and eight is a little different call than second and fifteen. So that that for me, if I'm a jet fan, that's what I want to know. Has he made that understanding that your job is to move the chains forward, not backward, move them forward. And if it means holding on to the ball and and rolling out and just picking up a couple of yards, that's what you have to do. You can't lose the game. You cannot turn the football over. All right, That's basic quarterback play. So that's what I really wanted to find out, and, and that's the main thing that Jet fans want to know from their quarterback. Now, the next thing, obviously, is what's going on with that offensive line and what's going on with the defensive line because you know my philosophy. That's where you win games. You win games in the trenches. I don't care what exotics you do, schemes offensively and defensively. You put pressure on the quarterback and you protect the quarterback. That's how you win games. So for me, obviously, the offensive line is going to be a key thing. Now, they have invested a lot of personnel. This side of the Giants, they've (laughs) addressed a lot of personnel to try to fix this offensive line. And I think on paper, they've done a decent job doing that. But the, the the pink elephant in the room is what's going on with Makai Beckton? Is he going to be able to play? How much is he going to be able to play? And where will he play if he's going to be more available than he's been? Not available last season and barely available his rookie year. So hopefully he's back. And if he can't, no matter what side of the line he plays on, if he can be healthy, if he can get his footwork right, and can be the guy that they think he can be, that's going to be huge for the Jets offensively, for the run game, and for the passing game. Clearly. Because that's what they need to do to help protect their quarterback. Now, on the other side, listen. For Rich to say that the loss of Fudekasi is going to hurt them in the running game, well, their running defense last year wasn't nothing to write home about with him. So that just means it could be, it's going to be worse without him. How will they figure that out? How will they address that? Now, we know they're doing a, 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 four, a base 4-3. Will they have to put somebody, to put five on the line? I mean, how will they address that, running, that run game situation? Because with all the 4,000 and 5,000-yard passing you see in the National Football League, balance dictates you have to run the ball some. I'm not saying that you run the ball 15, 20 times, you know, 30, 30, 40, 50 times a game. Of course not. But there are certain times where you have to be able to run the football. You got to be able to run the football in the red zone. You have to have that ability. Because as the, the yardage constricts, okay, you've got to be able to, to move the ball sometimes passing. The defenses are right there. You need to run the football a little bit. All right? And you have to be able to, to, to run to have balance. You want your, especially, and when you have a lead and defenses know, okay, they're trying to eat up the clock by running the football, that's when you got to be able to run the football. When you go back to those Jet teams that went to back-to-back conference finals with those offensive lines, they ran the football and everybody knew they were running the football and they still ran the football effectively. That's the type of run game you have to have in the National Football League, a representative run game. Not as great as that, but you have to have something that's specific so that when you have leads, you eat up the clock, force teams to call timeouts. So when you if you have to turn the football over, they've got limited time to do something. Right? So the offensive line, the offensive line is big. You've got to have a running game. And running game with a second-year quarterback, you've got him some weapons at tight end, you've got him some potential weapons at the wide receiver. Okay, you could do something here where you might be able to extend him and get some offense going and take some of the pressure off him and make his make some of his reads easy, because you're running, the, you know, running not being able to run the football and having, you know, some safeties some, some some secondary near the line of scrimmage is not helping your corner quarter, your quarterback at all. It's not. So these are the things that I hope that you know we'll find out for this Jet team in mandatory minicamp, but most importantly in preseason, in training camp and in preseason? How are they going to deal with it? And on the other side of the ball, defensively, like I said, how are you stopping the run? And are you putting pressure on the quarterback, which is the number one thing that this Jet team has had, pressure, had problems doing without the blitz? Yeah, we can. we'll send this guy, we'll send that guy. I get it. But how are you able to pressure the quarterback without the blitz? And I like uh, Robert Sala's idea of rotating defensive linemen. I think that's great. You keep everybody fresh. That's good. And it also cuts down on your injuries. But they've got to be able to – the talent difference between your starters and your backups have to be minimal for that to work, or you've got to really be schemed well. Got to really be schemed well because you could be burned by your, by your replacements, by your fillings. You can be burned. <laughs> Right now, I want to talk a little bit about the NBA Finals and how it's gone so far. And this has been, right, once again, as the Yankees get their bases loaded, walk to tie the game at one apiece. Once again, for full disclosure, I picked the Warriors in six. And they are having more problems with Boston than I expected. Both teams turn the basketball over a lot. (laughs) A lot. They do. What I have not seen from Golden State, which I thought I would see from Golden State, has been less reliance on Steph Curry. There's a lot of reliance on Steph Curry for Golden State. A lot. Jordan Poole has been extremely inconsistent. I mean, he showed up last game. Andrew Wiggins had his best game of the series, too, in game four. But it was still Curry's 43 that won it for Golden State. And so now in the off days, oh, here we go. Oh, I gotta do better, Jason Tatum. I gotta be better. I know I'm doing other things to get my teammates involved, but I have to be, you know, more aggressive. I have to get to the I gotta score more. I have to do different things. And the one thing you don't want to do, because listen, Jalen Brown's having a great series. Other people are performing. And I get I get that Jason Tatum has got to be that guy that Jason Tatum has to be the person that, you know, is you will him. He's got to be the guy that's going to score the basketball and score the basketball. But he's doing what he's supposed to do. When he gets to the basket, he's getting fouled. It's physical. It's the NBA Finals. They don't call a lot of stuff, as you can see, from people getting up off the ground a lot. All right? So the same calls that you get in the regular season, you're not getting in the postseason. And so because of that, he but he is still effective, he's still driving to the basket, he's still doing, he's still dishing to his teammates, and he's and he's playing good defense, he's doing other things. So while I understand that you need more from him, all right, um, still he's doing he's doing what he's supposed to do. You don't want him forcing up shots. That's the worst thing. And I think when you heard after the game from the players, I care for the two RBI double. It bounced over, so the Yankees end up probably losing a run because you know Carpenter might have been able to score, but that run is his second and third. One out, up three one. So he, you don't want him forcing the play. And the other thing that you heard. Players on Boston saying was, "Hey, you know what? We're standing around watching. Well, they're standing around. Well, they move. <laughs> it's real simple. What are you watching? He Tatum wants you to move. It it is really, it is really, really funny. That when you watch a series, okay, and you go from game to game to game to game." And usually in the postseason, there's no real carryover from game to game that almost each game is its own. It's almost like it's its own series. Right? Because of the fact that, you know, everybody knows what you're going to do. Everybody knows that the the Warriors do great pick and roll and cuts. Everybody knows. Boston knows, clearly. And what golden state also knows is that boston's okay an elite defensive team not just a good defensive team they're an elite defensive team and so what do you do to to score against defensive teams you beat them down the court so when they miss they miss you should be pushing the basketball and get easier shots and that's not what they've done. They've made it kind of hard. Okay? Golden State has. They made it kind of hard for themselves. By waiting for their defense to set up. And as we had the call earlier Spike when he joined us, Williams is at Robert Williams is an elite defender. He and Mitchell Robinson for me are great defenders. The difference is he's been more available than Mitchell Robinson and is not on the floor as much. But he is an he blocks the three, blocks he's 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 a really good defender. So that so for me, I knew that Boston was a great defending team. Clearly, you could watch him and tell. But I expected that Golden State with their constant movement and cuts and and, and the way they cut and move the basketball would pose a problem for Boston. More of a problem than it's been. It's been an even series so far. Obviously, it's 2-2. But if you're a Golden State Warrior fan, you have to be concerned. I mean, Steph Curry cannot continue to have to put all that stress because eventually Boston's going to find a way to shut him out, shut him down. And then what does Golden State do? Now, Clay Thompson showed you something. He got a little further, closer to the Clay Thompson that we're used to seeing on both sides, offensively and defensively, in game four. He was better. Offensively, yes. Defensively, even, he was better, especially in the fourth quarter. But it's the Jordan Pools. It's those guys off the bench. And Draymond Green, I expect a very focused and a very uh, up-tempo passionate Draymond Green to play in game 5 tomorrow night I really do because i believe that any competitor listen he's going to say the right things his team won so you you'd look like an idiot complaining all right and he but he was honest and he said for me to not be in the game with seven minutes left, I'm, of course, I wasn't happy about it. And he shouldn't have been. But that gutsy move from Steve Kerr is the reason why, one of the reasons why Golden State is tied this series at two. Because Draymond Green was giving them nothing. And let's face it, Draymond Green is having an issue trying to defend Horford and Robert Williams. He just is. They're bigger, they're stronger. It's a little different. He's having an adjustment issue with it. And normally he's the guy that is pushing the basketball on the break. He's the guy that's getting them moving the ball, getting pushing it, allowing Golden State to set their offense up early and quick, taking some of the ball handling pressures off of Steph Curry, which will wear him down. So I expect that Draymond will be a different player uh, a at home and B because, I mean, let's face it, you got pulled with seven minutes left to go in the game. Of a of a of a must win. A must win for Golden State. Joey Gallo two RBI double Yankees up five one still batting in the first two out. So how how do players respond? That's going to be the question. Right now I want you to welcome in my next guest. He is Lou Hutchinson. He is a outstanding basketball player from Upper Marlboro, Maryland. He has uh, played for the IMG Academy and Long Island Lutheran and he's got some great things. I've heard a lot of great things about him and I also want to pick his brain because you heard me just talk a little bit about Celtics and Warriors, but I want to pick his brain. He has, you know, fresher eyes. I want to see what he sees from this series. Lou, welcome to the show. How are you, my friend?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
1: My pleasure. Lou, first of all, tell me how you got started playing basketball. Why basketball? You're you're a talented young man. You could have done any sport that any sport possible, looking at your highlights. You're athletic. How why did you decide basketball?
2: Uh so when I was younger, I actually tried a few different sports. Um, uh, my dad was a D one tennis player um in his younger days. So I tried tennis at one point. I actually tried kung fu, but um, hmm. I feel like with basketball, I mean, ever since the first time I picked up a basketball, um, it, it was just different for me. Uh, it, it gave me a different type of joy. And I just the way that as I continue to start playing it, um, the love for, that I have for the game and um, the work that I want to put in to just continue to get better and allow for basketball to take me to different places in my life. It kind of just uh, it, it kind of just felt like, OK, this is definitely um, this is what I want to do.
1: Now, when did you start playing basketball?
2: Uh, I started playing basketball when I was three years old.
1: Wow. So you've been playing a while.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. I've been playing for a minute. Uh
1: huh. So let, let's get this out of the way. Let's right now shout out your parents who've done a tremendous job with you. Let's talk about them and their role in what you've been able to do on and off the court.
2: Yes. I mean, um, my parents like you said, huge, huge, huge role in my life. Um, Both my parents have, one, just not just with me, but also with my sister, just put in uh, different values that we carry to the day, dedication, leadership, um, kind of just having a a mindset of, like, when you start something, you got to finish it and always do things to the best of your ability. And, I mean, even something that my dad has always told me is um, if I finish you, Without confidence, you are. Ah, I'm, I'm forgetting the quote, my bad. Uh, without confidence, you're twice removed from the game of life with confidence you've already won before you started. Mm. And I feel like something that I've always just like tried to carry with me that uh, before anybody else has confidence in you or believes in you, you have to believe in yourself. So it's just like different little lessons like that, and just along with um, just looking at them and following them as the people that they are has just been big for me. So, I mean, my, I couldn't, I wouldn't be where I am today without my parents.
1: No question about that. And, and they deserve a lot of credit. They've done a great job. My guest is Lou Hutchinson. He is a graduate of Long Island Lutheran headed to Rhode Island. So before I get to your question, I just have to acknowledge uh, Carpenter with a three run home run for the Yankees. They now lead eight one as they continue to bat in the second inning. All right, Lou, take me back now. You've applied to a number of colleges. You hear from Rhode Island. Take me back to that moment. What was the experience? What was your reaction? What was it like?
2: Um, so when I got the call from coaches at Rhode Island, the coaching staff, Coach Miller, um, I was excited. I mean, I definitely knew about um, Rhode Island's illustrious basketball history. Um, But aside from that, I was also very interested in the school because of the high-level academics. Um, I mean, that's another thing that my parents have put a lot of emphasis on with me and my sister, that academics is important. You can be involved in basketball and sports and all the different things that you want to do. But if you are um, in the books first, in the classroom first, that's going to allow you to do that and then some and do so many more things. So academics is definitely a big thing in our family as well. And the combination of the academics, along with the great culture, what the coaches at Rhode Island are trying to do, Coach Miller and the coaching staff, um, and also trying just the community and the um, feel of campus, um, especially when I went on a visit up there, it all just accumulated accumulated with me. And um, you know, after I went on my official visit, I was like, yeah, this is this is definitely home. So,
1: so you were a little happy. <laughs> <laughs>
2: To say, to say the least.
1: <laughs> well, since you mentioned it, let's talk about academics because a, l- a lot of athletes don't realize your scholarship is renewable. You have to do well in, in ath- athletics. Your GPA is outstanding. Take me through the challenge of balancing that, right? You've got the GPA. You've got you know, basketball obligations. You've got family obligations. There's other things that you do. Talk to me about balancing your time and how successful you've been in doing that.
2: Yeah, so I mean, um, well, first and foremost, my I have a pretty good example. Both my parents um, have their doctorates. My mom has three masters. My sister just graduated with her master's at 22 years old, and she has two bachelor's degrees. So, for us, I, academics it's um it's a uh, it's not necessarily not necessarily a choice, but honestly, it really shouldn't be. Um, mm-hmm. it's a very 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 important thing, and I feel like being great academically allows you like I said before to do a lot of different things um a lot of different things and just expand yourself beyond just basketball.
1: If I were if I were to ask you to scout you, what would you tell me about Lou Hutchinson as a player?
2: Um I say that Lou Hutchinson is a winner. That's what he does. He's going to do whatever it takes to win and he has the versatility, um, the energy, the leadership skills to do whatever it takes on a team to win, whether that means he has to score um, at all three levels, whether that means he has to go and grab rebounds, he can get his teammates involved, he'll go and be a dog on the defensive end and guard the best player on the other team and lock them down and give them the hardest night they've ever had to play. He'll go and take the game-winning charge, or he'll make the extra pass and simply Lou Hutchinson is a leader and a winner
1: okay that that sounds good to me (laughs) that that's what and that's obviously Lou what the coaches at Rhode Island saw when they looked at you and looked at your 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 tapes and watched you play and your ability to make other people better and listen that's what makes great players go to the NBA and go to the next level right is that ability to not only do well for yourself but to do well for your teammates
2: I one hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree.
1: Lou, the other thing that fascinated me about you in some of the interviews that I've seen is you're a man of faith. So take me through how your faith has helped you in life, on and off the basketball court. Oh
2: man, I mean that's that's got to be the biggest part of um, of who I am. I mean, glory um, to God in everything that I do. I try to incorporate God in everything that I do, and. Really, um, in that, it kind of just gives me a calmness and a peace, um, whether it be on the basketball court or um, or when I'm studying or taking a test for academics. Um, you know, my, my dad talks about, both my parents are also actually ministers, so uh, I also have, like, a bit of a different view of it, but my dad always talks about how God can give you a peace that surpasses all understanding, even when um, it seems like you may be, in the toughest of times or even when you may be in in the highest of highs where you have a piece that really surpasses all understanding. Um, And even uh, I remember in like, I think there was a game in like seventh grade and it was tied and I got the ball at the end of the game and I made the shot. And all my teammates were like going crazy and everything, but I was kind of just there, like in the moment, kind of just peaceful, calm. Because there were still two seconds on the shot clock, on the on the clock left. I was kind of just like, I was like, okay, we made the shot, but we got we got to get get to the next thing. We got to be on defense. So that's kind of that's I mean that's the biggest part of who I am.
1: Yeah, that piece that 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 helps all understanding, right? Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. All right, look. I know you've been watching the NBA Finals, so give me your thoughts on what you've seen in these uh, four games thus far.
2: Man, the NBA Finals have been crazy thus far. I mean, um, you know, Celtics Celtics, and Warriors have both been playing amazing. There's been different ups and downs for both teams. Um, but Steph Curry in that last game especially has was incredible. I mean, 43 points, he was making all different – types of shots he was uplifting his team kept them in it the whole time um I would say that in this series so far Steph Curry has definitely been the X factor
1: now what do you see going forward um game five obviously is a big game because the series is tied at two uh what do you what what do you see and what has to happen for both teams to win that game from your standpoint as as a baller
2: well, um I feel for the Warriors to win that game, Steph has to keep clicking. Um the rest of the team has to has to they they have to do what the Warriors do. So they have to continue to have that unique offense and continue to run through different guys because it's not from Steph they have so many different guys. Of course you have you have Clay Thompson, you have Jordan Poole, you have um Draymond Green who's a huge, huge, huge part of the Warriors. So um I feel if they can really um just keep clicking and really just um, lock in in game five, that would be really big for them and coming coming out with a win on that one. In terms of the Celtics, I think, um, for one, Marcus Smart has to keep hitting. He's been big in the finals offensively. Obviously, being def- defensive player of the year this year, he's been doing his thing defensively. Offensively, he also has to uh, keep clicking because he's been big for them in the playoffs and especially in the finals. Um Jason Tatum has to have has to have a good game, and Jalen Brown. I feel like those two, especially I me mean, being the guys on the Celtics team, um, they have to they have to just continue to play well off of each other. Al Horford has to continue to play well, and um, just for the Celtics to win Game Five, I feel that their perimeter defense, um, more than anything, has to be on point.
1: They're a good defensive team, aren't they, Lou? Yes, sir. So are there, are there players that you look up to that kind of, not that you pattern yourself after because you want to be the best Lou you can be, but are there players that you like to watch, that you enjoy watching in the NBA?
2: Uh, one player that, especially in the past uh, couple of years, I've enjoyed watching for sure is definitely Jimmy Butler.
0: Mm.
2: And I say that because of the competitiveness he brings to the game, um, all the different things that he can do, and I like to think that the mindset that he has when it comes to the game, having that competitiveness, having that attitude, I'm not losing doing whatever it is that his team needs him to do, whether it be um, guard the biggest guy on the, on the floor, guard the smallest guy on the floor, go get a bucket, go find an open man, go and make um, make a, a certain play that his team really needs. That's somebody that I really enjoy watching. Um, of course, watching these two teams in the finals are two, two more teams with players that I especially – um, love to watch I mean uh, the Celtics the way that they play they have a lot of different offensive power and I feel like that's also come out even more in the playoffs those guys are playing well and the same thing with the Warriors I feel like uh, the Warriors they they play a brand of basketball that at one point nobody else really played and they kind of shot the league and they're still doing what they what they've been doing for the past what five six seven years so those are, I would say, a few guys and a few players that um, I love to watch.
1: Oh, that sounds good. Lou, last question for you, and I thank you for giving us a couple of minutes today out of your busy schedule. Um, there's a lot of young folks who are listening to this broadcast today and will be listening to the app uh, when we put it up on the podcast a little bit later. What's some advice you could give them from a young person to another young person? Listen, uh, I I go to schools and I talk to people and, You know, they look at me and they they respectfully listen, but it's a little different coming from somebody, one of their peers. So why don't you uh, give give some words of wisdom before you leave us today?
2: Um, What I would say is, um, one, hard work. uh, Hard work is very important. You know, um, for me as a Christian, you know, prayers without hard work, it it means nothing. You can can pray for something, you can ask for something, but you have to put the work in to really get the results that you want to get. And um, another thing I would say is, regardless of haters or what rankings may say or all of that different stuff, work hard, keep your head down, do what you need to do, and you will get the results that you're supposed to get. There are guys um, in the league, guys, overseas guys, that are playing at the highest levels that um, weren't ranked or didn't necessarily have the big names early on that are now some of the most successful players um, to ever do it and some of the most successful people to ever do it. So regardless of what people may say about you or – um, the down things that down comments that they may have always work hard, always continue to push forward for your goals. And um, I mean, I, I would say that's it. That's, that's my advice.
1: That's great advice. Lou, listen, best of luck at the next level for you. We'll keep in touch and see how you're doing regards to your family and uh, give my good friend Cynthia Smith a, a hello for me as well. Thanks for a couple of minutes, my friend.
2: Will do. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me as well.
1: All right. My pleasure, Lou. Thank you very much. Lou Hutchinson. All I think right. he's going to be, uh, uh, from what I've seen and from the scouting reports I've heard about him, uh, Rhode Island got a good one. And, you know, maybe he'll do some things at the next level too. You know, a swing player, 6'7", shooting guard, point guard, mm, you never know. Maybe he'll come to the next.